Well, good morning, Faith Bible. Would you please stand as we go to the Lord in worship? Got 
Psalm 100 says in the last stanza, for the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his faithfulness endures from age to age. Go ahead and be seated. That's why we gather today. We gather to declare his faithfulness to each other. We gather to be just living exhibits of God's kindness and mercy toward us, to, to corporately celebrate uh, his grace, his grace that's powered us through uh, another week of our lives. And speaking of God's grace, we are a month away from the completion of our building project. Uh, so that God's grace has just been all over us in this season of, of uh, construction and of building. Uh, we've called this capital campaign Greater Things uh, because we believe that uh, God has done great things here at Faith Bible Church, but that he is also going to do greater things in this next generation of ministry. Uh, and we kicked this off, this capital campaign, we kicked it off in the fall of 2016, so three years ago, uh, we kicked off the capital campaign portion of this. Construction started in May of last year. Uh, so it's been a 16, 17-month construction project. Uh, we endured three monsoon seasons in that time. Uh, it's been a really rainy uh, few months, or uh, I guess 17 months as we've uh, uh, hit some snags that have slowed us down a little bit. Uh, but the construction has gone really, really well. On November 24th, so two weeks from today, uh, we will be dedicating uh, this whole project. So, so what's going on in this room, what's going on in our early childhood and, and student spaces, which is uh, the phase one project that was done uh, in the summertime, uh, and then the area that's right outside these back doors uh, that's going to be the foyer that really serves as uh, a way to, to feed this worship space. All three of those we are going to dedicate uh, on November 24th. So we're going to give recognition to the people that played such a big part and seeing this happen, uh, we're going to just express gratitude for God and the way that uh, he's gone before us in all these things. Uh, and we're going to submit this whole thing uh, to him and to his purposes. So a special Sunday at Faith Bible. Um, it's going to take a little bit different shape in terms of our two worship services. Uh, not exactly what we do week in and week out. Uh, but I think it'll be a blessing uh, for all of you to be here uh, as we give this thing over uh, to the Lord. Uh, and so if you look at your insert in today's bulletin, it gives mention of that building dedication, uh, but also on the back of that insert, it gives mention to kind of where we are uh, with the capital campaign project. Um, when construction ends next month, we'll owe $4 million uh, on this $12 million project. Uh, we said at the beginning that we could responsibly borrow up to $6 million, uh, so this is going to be considerably less than that when we come to completion. But what that number does not take into account as we kind of forecast these uh, figures, it does not take into account year-end giving. Uh, and year-end giving at Faith Bible has always traditionally been very strong. Uh, and so what I'm asking you to do today, if you haven't already, please begin praying about your generous year-end gift to greater things, or, or just your year-end giving uh, in general, if you're giving to missions, or if you're giving to the general fund, or if you're giving some other uh, important ministries, just a reminder to begin praying about uh, how you're going to participate uh, with what God uh, is doing and doing here at Faith Bible Church. We've never carried debt for very long, 
Uh, and that's because we have a very generous church body uh, that is given to address uh, that debt whenever it has uh, existed. And just also as a reminder, um, whether you give, there is a difference in whether you give to uh, the general fund, just to Faith Bible in general, or if you give to the greater things, if you make that designation, those gifts, 10% of those gifts are forwarded to Step Seminary in Port-au-Prince, Haiti. Uh, we had Wawa Jean-Baptiste here last week. He's the president of STEP. He gave a presentation to our Sunday school classes, or our adult Bible fellowships, I should call them, and uh, just gave a really, um, it was encouraging on one hand, but it was very sobering on another hand uh, as to the condition uh, of the country of Haiti and what the ministry there is up against. Uh, so we feel even more convicted about the fact that we're giving 10% of our capital campaign funds to STEP Seminary and the capital needs that they have and the other needs uh, that they face as they're in a very, very tough season uh, of ministry there in Port-au-Prince. Uh, and also, just on the subject of prayer, um, I asked you a, a couple of months ago to be praying for uh, the worship leader that God is preparing for Faith Bible Church. We're not even further along on that, so uh, I, I could see that you guys were, oh, he's going to announce something. Nope. <laughs> not going to announce anything. Uh, I'm going to ask you again to keep praying. Uh, keep owning this as a church body uh, as, as we look toward in this next year uh, who God may, may bring to, to lead us uh, in worship for the years to come. do want to uh, give my appreciation to Ted and Sophia for leading us today. Um, I'm grateful that uh, they're willing to do that. And I'm, I'm very grateful for the way you've responded as a church to all the guest leaders and, and changes we've had uh, as we've moved along these weeks. If you're a guest this morning, sorry for all of this sort of business type talk that I've had to get up here and do. Uh, what I would invite you to do if you are visiting today, after the service, when you make your way out, stop by the Welcome Center. It's on the, uh, the left side of this corridor out here. There'll be somebody there that would love to, to meet with you, uh, give you some information about Faith Bible. If you've been here for a number of weeks and you think this is a place where uh, you want to call your church home, uh, we're having a new member orientation today. It's not too late to get in on that. Stop by that Welcome Center. They'll make sure uh, you get uh, signed up for that. It's at 6 o'clock. It's in the Fellowship Hall. Uh, we would love for as many of you who feel led uh, to be a part of that. So with all of that, stand up, please. Greet one another, and we'll continue to worship. Well, as you find your way back to your seat, uh, let's continue with worship.
Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for all the blessings that you give us. Thank you for the beautiful morning. Now please open our hearts and our minds as we hear from your word. We ask these things in your precious son's name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you all for leading us in worship this morning. We appreciate that so much. And I want to welcome everybody here this morning. What a beautiful day. What a beautiful couple of days God's given to us here. Just a gorgeous day out there to enjoy. If you're visiting here with us this morning, we're especially glad you're here. Thank you for uh, taking time out of your schedule to come and be with us here at Faith Bible Church. It really does mean a lot to us that you're here, and uh, we're very grateful that you're with us here this morning. Uh, This morning, we're in uh, a part two of a three-part series on the topic of work, and uh, we've titled this series of The Gospel at Work. And uh, this morning, since this is a topical series that we'll be in, Um, We're going to be looking at several different scriptures, but I want to uh, begin by looking at Ecclesiastes chapter 5. If you'll turn there with me, uh, the book of Ecclesiastes, like the book of Proverbs, um, has a lot to say about the topic of work, but I thought this would be a a good passage to read this morning to kind of set the table for what we're going to talk about. So Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 18 through 20. Uh, Solomon writes this, he says, Here's what I have seen to be good and fitting, to eat, to drink, and enjoy oneself in all one's labor in which he toils under the sun during the few years of his life which God has given him. For this is his reward. Furthermore, as as for every man to whom God has given riches and wealth, he has also empowered him to eat from them and to receive his reward and rejoice in his labor. This is the gift of God. For he will not often consider the years of his life because God keeps them occupied with the gladness of his heart. Well, so reads God's inspired and errant word. In, uh, in my research for this series, I've read several books. I mentioned that to you last time. But I've also uh, run across some interesting websites. And there's one of them that's a humorous website. Some of you may have seen it before. The title of the website is You Only Had One Job. And there's these different pictures, so we'll go through and look at a few of these. Uh, You only had one job and kind of got things backwards there. There's one I like there. Somebody made these medals. Now, thirst. Um, Somebody here got the sign back to school, maybe in the wrong place there at that store there. Just one job to do. This is one of my favorite ones. You just had one job, right? Get the drain in the right place, the low spot. There it is. That's a good one there. A little, little too close for comfort. A lot of, there's another one. A lot of these are about bathrooms. I don't know, people mess these bathrooms up pretty good. There's a good one there. Uh, fortunately, that's not the company that we used, uh, the firm, to do our architecture here at the church for our building project. They're a little off there on that one. They kind of trying to get those two things together. Uh, there's a good one there, building your uh, walkway there with a big tree in the middle of it. Just one little job, just get the hook the right direction, you know, can't put the thing on right. Here's my favorite one, though. This is since my name's Mark. I said my name was Mark with a C. So, cart, there you go. Well, uh, work can be interesting sometimes, right? It can uh, be a very interesting endeavor. It can be pretty humorous sometimes. Um, and in this, uh, in this series, what we're wanting to do is to develop a biblical theology of work, a biblical view of our vocation of what we do. And we want to, really what we want to do in this series is seamlessly connect a Sunday worship with Monday work. And the reason we want to do that is because obviously a work is what we do with a majority of our waking hours. In fact, I mean, if you're retired here this morning or you uh, work in the home, you have a, a job or you're compensated, uh, really what we do with the majority of our time is work in different, uh, different arenas. 
And that we see the importance of this and that the, the first time we meet somebody, the first question we usually ask after we find out their name is what? What do you do, right? That's the, almost the first thing we ask somebody. When we ask that question, what do you do, we're affirming that work is essential and that it's an integral part of being human. In uh, his book, uh, The Call by Os Guinness, he says this, Usually when we meet someone for the first time, it isn't long before we ask, what do you do? And the answer comes, I'm a lawyer, I'm a truck driver, I'm a teacher, or whatever. Then he says this, far more than a name or a place of birth, a job helps us to place a person on the map of our minds. Work takes up so many of our waking hours that our jobs come to define us and give us our identities. We become what we do. That's really true, isn't it? I mean, our work comes to identify us in many ways. We become what we do. And we saw last time that the ultimate worker in the universe is God himself. The Bible begins, in the beginning, God created. And throughout all of Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, God is creating and he's separating and he's, he's naming things. God is the ultimate worker. He's the first and foremost worker in the universe. And the very first words that God speaks to Adam and then to Eve are about work. He places them in the garden to to keep it and to tend it. In Genesis chapter 1, what's often called the the cultural or the creation mandate, God tells the man and the woman to rule over the creation and to subdue it. Uh, God brings the man and the woman into kind of co-regency with himself to to represent him and kind of be like subcontractors, if you will, to work for God. So your work matters to God, and your work should matter to you as well. Now, we started last time, this three-week series, and we're going to look at three different topics, one each week. Last week, we talked about the meaning or the mandate of work, and we talked about what work is. Uh, This morning, I want to talk about uh, the motivations to work, that is, why do we work? And then next week, we want to look at the manner of our work. How do we uh, conduct the work that God has given to us? So last week we looked at the meaning or the mandate of our work. Again, that creation mandate in Genesis 1 and 2. And I pointed out something, a distinction that I want to reinforce this morning about what's our primary calling and our secondary calling. And again, I got this from Os Guinness, his excellent book, The Call. Uh, Many others who work in the area of faith and and vocation uh, use this same idea. It's very valuable and helpful. And what Os Guinness says is he says that every person, every believer has a primary calling in life. And that primary calling is not to something or some place, it's to someone. So every one of us as believers have a primary calling to God, first and foremost, above everything else. To live our lives under God's sovereign rule and to walk and to live our lives worthy of him. So that's our primary calling. That never changes. We never lose that. But underneath that, all of us have a secondary calling. That is, we're called to some place or something to do. So our secondary calling, you could say, is our unique particular expression of that primary calling that God has given to us. So we pointed out last time that you can retire from your career or your secondary calling, or you can change secondary callings. But you never can retire from your primary calling to serve and to glorify God. So you may be unemployed, but you're never uncalled, if you will. We're always called, we're always subject to that primary call of God. And we saw last time that our work has meaning because you and I are created in the image of God. 
Uh, we work because we're created and we bear the image of one uh, who works. God instructed us to work in Genesis chapter 2 to, to work and uh, to cultivate his creation. And we saw last time as well a very important point I want to just again reinforce that all work is pleasing to God. It's not like if you're a missionary, you're a pastor, that your work's on one level and everybody else's work is on another level. God owns it all. He's Lord over all of it. We want an integrated view of creation. All work, legitimate work, is equally valuable and pleasing to God. There's not some bifurcated view or some dualistic view of work. It all comes under uh, God's sovereign control. So with that in mind, kind of a little review. This morning, I want to look at the motivations for work. Why do we work? What should motivate us every day to get out of bed and to work and do the things God's called us to do? God wants our relationship with him to transform why we work. Now, before we look at the right motivations to work, I want to look at three wrong motivations for working, or we could call these uh, three distortions of work. Uh, the first one is... Many people believe the only reason for work is to make money. That's basically the only reason they work. The only reason is just to make money. It's to make money to pay bills, uh, to pay the mortgage, to collect a paycheck, uh, maybe just to, to make the money that we want to spend on uh, the things that we desire. That's really all uh, that money's about, or, or that that's the primary motivation behind it. Um, all of us remember probably uh, Walt Disney's classic movie, uh, you know, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Well, remember the dwarfs would walk, uh, march out each day carrying their shovels, pickaxes. They would be whistling and singing that song, hi-ho, hi-ho, it's off to work we go. Well, I uh, saw a variation of that on a bumper sticker a while back that said, I-O, I-O, it's off to work I go. And that's a lot of people's view, really, of what work is all about. It's just to pay bills. It's just to, to buy stuff for ourselves. And under this distortion of work, work is seen as a curse. It's just a drudgery. It's nothing more than a necessary evil to get the money that you can get so you can buy uh, the stuff that you want. In other words, money's the only goal. Now, working just for money will eventually become disillusioning and dissatisfying no matter how much money you make. If that's the only reason you work, eventually you're going to get disillusioned because uh, money, all, money is not a high enough motivation, really, to ultimately keep our interest. We have to have a higher purpose than just to make money, uh, to pay our bills and to spend on ourselves. Um, a second distortion of the reason to work that's really closely related to that one is what I call self-indulgence. And that is the only reason to work is just to get enough money so you can quit working. <laughs> So the only reason basically to work is just kind of a necessary evil for a while to make enough money to where you can work and enjoy yourself and live a life of leisure and kind of kick back and take it easy. It's kind of the living for the weekend kind of an attitude about work. You work so you don't have to work basically is, is the purpose. There's uh, something I've run across in several different things. I've seen it on TV. I've seen it in some articles I've read. It's called FIRE, and FIRE stands for Financial Independence Retire Early. And what it is, it's a movement among uh, younger couples, younger couples, usually higher-earning couples, um, usually higher-earning couples with no kids, and they want to retire in their 30s and 40s. 
So they're saving 50 to 75% of their income. So whatever they think their expenses are, they can save up 20 times that. And once they get that, they quit. So basically they can just go out and take it easy and live for themselves and kind of do uh, what they want to do. But it's called FIRE, Financial Independence Retire Early. Now, Jesus spoke to this idea of just kind of working and gaining stuff just so you can kind of go out and live a life of leisure and just enjoy your life and do, do whatever you desire. Remember in Luke 12, the parable Jesus tells about the rich farmer? The guy says, you know, he keeps amassing more and more, and he goes and builds bigger barns and bigger barns to save it all up. Never any thought of using some of that to help others. Of course, Jesus says, I, the man says this, this rich farmer, I'll say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. And what does God say to him? You fool, this very night your soul will be required of you. And we look at people that are rich and everybody thinks, well, they're smart and wise, man, they're so successful. God says about this particular man, he was a fool. Because all he did was just amass more and more so he could just live a life of self-indulgence. Look, many people believe that work is just something you do to get money and to get leisure. It's just something to get over as quickly as possible so you can get to what life is really all about. In other words, in, in this view, work has no intrinsic value. It's just kind of a necessary evil to do for a while until you can do nothing. There's a third distortion of work, and that is people who work just for significance and self-worth. One of the main distortions of work is to make work and its benefits the primary meaning for your identity and your self-worth, your significance. In other words, your work becomes something that defines you. And, of course, this is what you find in people who are workaholics, right? That's what we often call them. In other words, work is everything to them. They sacrifice everything on the altar of work. And nowhere is this distortion more evident than back in the early part of Genesis. God creates the man and the woman in Genesis 1 and 2, gives them this creation mandate that work is a joyful cultivation of creation for God's glory and man's good. When you get to chapter 4 of Genesis, technology is coming online and it begins to be used as a means for gaining power. And then when you get to Genesis 11 at the Tower of Babel, they're building this great tower uh, to the heavens. And they're building this great, probably a great pyramid or a ziggurat. And they're building it to maximize their own glory and their own power and their own autonomy. And it reveals basically their own insecurities. The world is gathered there. And it tells us in the text in Genesis 11 why they wanted to build the world's tallest tower. And it says they wanted to do it to make a name for themselves. In other words, to construct an identity. They wanted to be independent and autonomous uh, from God. And there are many, many people today, maybe some of you here this morning, if you're honest, that really your main reason to work is to, 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 to uh, prove yourself, to accumulate power and security, and to get some sense of, of autonomy uh, where you can kind of live life uh, on your own terms. Look, God wants us to work hard. He wants us to labor hard and do a good job. But God doesn't want our work to be our identity with all of our self-worth just tied up and wrapped up in what we do for our job. So those are three wrong motivations for work, spending, self-indulgence, and to gain our significance and self-worth from that. 
Now let's look at four right motivations, four biblical motivations uh, for work. Now let me just say this, the umbrella reason why we do everything we do is to glorify God. That's why we do everything we do, it should be. And so our work falls under that as well. Ultimately, we do our work because our work was given to us by God as his creatures, as a God who works himself to bring honor and to bring glory to him. But underneath this umbrella, reason to work to glorify God, there's some other legitimate motivations. And one of them is, and again, we kind of alluded to this earlier, and this is what most people think of, the reason we work is to get money, right? Now, that's not wrong. It's wrong if that's the only reason you work. But making money and supporting yourself and your family or those that that, uh, need your help, that's a biblical motivation to work. In uh, 1 Timothy 5.8, Paul wrote this, But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he's denied the faith and he's worse than an unbeliever. That's a strong statement about providing for yourself and providing for those uh, who need your care. In Proverbs 12, 11, the the, uh, writer says this, those who work the land will have abundant food. In other words, you go out and work to provide so you can have food to eat and clothing to wear. In other words, it's a legitimate reason to work just uh, to meet the needs that we have. So it glorifies God when when a believer works hard to provide for his or her family and is a blessing to other people. And you and I can be satisfied in a job that simply provides for our needs. That's part of God's purpose in giving us to work. Now, even if your job is not the most personally fulfilling job you could ever imagine, or maybe it's not the most financially lucrative job you could ever imagine, Providing for your family and blessing others is a legitimate reason for you and for me to work. We need to find a satisfaction in that. Back in uh, the summer of 1991, um, it was one of the most difficult. It was, it was one of the most difficult, yet at the same time, one of the most enriching times in my life. Um, I had graduated from seminary, from Dallas Seminary, the uh, second week of May. And we were talking to the the folks then, the elders at Faith Bible Church, about coming here to to serve as the pastor. And it took a a pretty long time for that to happen. We didn't end up coming here till October. Well, between the time that I graduated, um, our son Justin was two and a half, and our son Samuel was born four days after I graduated, I needed to go find something to do to work to provide, provide for our family during that time. So through someone that I knew, I found a job working for a, a company that did, uh, w- was uh, court reporters. So they would go out and take depositions or be in trials and trial transcripts and all that. And my job there was to put these together and to deliver them to different lawyers and law firms around and all that. Now, for me at the time, there was kind of a cruel irony in that because before I went to seminary, I was a lawyer. And so... I was working in here putting together these manuscripts or these uh, transcripts and depositions and all these various things, and I didn't want anybody there to know that I had been a lawyer before. But one day, I don't remember what it was, somebody asked me something, and I said something that indicated that I knew more about this than probably the average person. So they asked me, so, well, how do you know about that? And so I thought, well, I'm not going to lie, so I told them about that, and I said, well, what are you doing working here? <laughs> and so I did, you know, explained to them all the different things, and so... Anyway, it's primarily a lot of younger ladies that worked there who were court reporters and some real interesting situations in their lives that I was able to, to, to minister to, I think, during that time. But 
it was a very difficult time because I had a lot of things on my mind about, you know, wh- where God was going to lead us and guide us and, you know, had my family and just trying to think these things through. And it was in Dallas in the summer, and in the summer in Dallas, it's hot. And all my time was in downtown Dallas, which is even hotter. I mean, it's just concrete everywhere. So I'd get in uh, the car, oh, Honda Accord, and I would drive around in downtown Dallas after I got everything put together and go deliver these to these different, different law firms. And about the time the car would maybe just get a puff of air coming out, it was time, a cold air, it was time to stop again and get out. So I'd go to these beautiful, fancy law firms, places where I had worked as a student when I was in law school, the same kind of places, walk up to the front desk and drop off these uh, depositions or whatever it was, and just, you know, just drenched in sweat and whatever. Then I'd, you know, walk back out to the streets again to go uh, to another place. You know, it was a valuable time in my life. First of all, it was good. It was humbling, and that's always a good thing for God to humble us. But it was, it was also good because you, know, you spend time in seminary learning a lot. You learn a lot of information. You learn about the, a lot about the Bible. But God always wants us to take the things we learn and to apply them to our lives. And he gives us opportunities to do that. And so that was probably the most difficult summer of my life in many ways. But it was also uh, enriching in many ways. And Cheryl, would, uh, she'd tell you now she felt sorry for me a lot of those days. I'd come home just drenched, you know, all over downtown Dallas during the day. But I can say this, it did give me a sense of joy and a sense of accomplishment, as as unrewarding as it was in many ways, to know that that God was using me to support our family. And so in that, I found satisfaction. So working to support yourself and to support your family is a legitimate reason, a biblical reason, it's a godly reason uh, to be involved in work. Another biblical motivation to work is satisfaction or enjoyment. One biblical motivation to work is for satisfaction and enjoyment. Now, I'm sure many of you here are saying, well, that sounds good, but I really don't enjoy my job. Well, you're probably in good company. I read this this week. This is a startling statistic. It says 70% of American workers say they're completely dissatisfied at work. That's not just a little bit or they don't like it or 70% are completely dissatisfied at work. And I'm sure there are many of you here this morning that that describes you. You're you're maybe completely dissatisfied at work. And so when I say one motivation to work is enjoyment or satisfaction, you're saying, well, that's easy for you to say. But God intends that. Work is not a curse. We saw that last time. Work was not the curse. Uh, The work now is cursed because the ground is cursed and work is more... Uh, more frustrating and more fatiguing than it was before the fall. But there was work before the fall. There's going to be work in the new heavens and the new earth. We're going to work for eternity, and God's going to work. So work is not something that was the curse. It was given, part of it is to satisfy us and give us enjoyment. In fact, in Ecclesiastes 2.24, it says this, A person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their toil. This too I see is from the hand of God. Now he recognizes there it's toil. After the fall, work is toilsome, it's harder. But he says we can find satisfaction in our work. Ecclesiastes 3.22 says this, So I saw that there is nothing better for a person than to enjoy their work because this is their lot. It's our lot in life, wherever God has placed us, to do the work he's called us to do. The New Living Translation says this, So I saw that there's nothing better for people than to be happy in their work. That's what God uh, desires for us. 
And again, let me read Ecclesiastes 5, 18 and 19. It's the passage I read earlier, but it uh, reaffirms what we've said. It says, this is what I've observed to be good, that it is appropriate for a person to eat and to drink and to find satisfaction in their toilsome labor. Now, again, the Bible recognizes that labor is toilsome. He says, enjoy the satisfaction of your toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of life God has given them. For this is their lot, and it is a good thing to receive wealth from God and good health to enjoy it. Now, by the way, isn't that beautiful? God gives us wealth, but he, not only, but he also gives us the health to enjoy it. And, you know, if you don't have your health, um, you, you've really lost uh, so much of life. And he says, to enjoy your work and to accept your lot in life, this is indeed a gift from God. Now, again, I know there's some of you sitting here saying, well, what if I don't enjoy my work? Now, what if my work is a drudgery? Now, what if I have what I would consider to be a dead-end job? Well, what I would say to you, first of all, is if you're able to, go find another job. Now, you know, no one say that says you have to stay in that job, so it's legitimate. Certainly, as I've said, we can change our, our secondary calling. We never change or lose that primary calling. We can change careers or secondary calling. But I would say this. Do all you can, empowered by the Holy Spirit, to enjoy the job that you have until you find another one. And work hard, do a good job there, and have a good attitude, and be praying that God will provide you with a job in which you can find uh, more satisfaction and more pleasure. Most of you uh, know the movie Chariots of Fire about the life of Eric uh, Little. He uh, was in, in the Olympics, and uh, he was from Scotland. The movie set back in the 1930s. And his sister at one point in the movie questions why he is running in the Olympics rather than going ahead and going and being a missionary, which is what ultimately he ended up doing. But he turns to her and he says, Jenny, when I run, I feel God's pleasure. He felt the pleasure of God as he would run and do these things. And to me, that's an impressive appreciation of God's presence. I mean, he recognized uh, the fact that God wanted to use him in the arena of running and that God, he felt God's pleasure when he was doing that. And God wants to do the same thing for you and for me, whatever our sphere of influence is or our area of work. God wants us when we work, whatever it is, to feel his pleasure as we do it. But staying at home all day with, with young children or maybe a job that does seem to be rather insignificant or meaningless or maybe some incredibly high-paying job, whatever it is, God wants us to find a measure of satisfaction and his pleasure in that. And we need to do that no matter what we do. It's a mindset that we have. And I think this requires also a healthy rhythm of work and rest. You know, God worked six days and then he rested. And the Bible tells us we're to work six days and to rest as well. And when we get this good rhythm in our life of work and rest, we can find satisfaction and enjoyment in our labor it's like a story, it's a story that's been around a long time about a fisherman who was sitting by his boat on a beach uh, playing with his child and his uh, fishing equipment was resting there next to his boat. And a wealthy businessman comes walking down the beach, he's trying to relieve himself from all the stress of his work day and he's horrified at the sight of this man sitting there playing with his child while it's still working hours. And uh, the, he, looks at, uh, he, he looks at this guy and he says, why aren't you out there fishing? And the fisherman said, well, I've already caught enough fish for one day. And the businessman said, well, why don't you catch some more? And the man said, well, what would I do with them? 
says, well, you could earn extra money. With the extra money, you could buy a bigger go boat, go into deeper waters, and catch more fish. Then you could make enough money to buy nylon nets, and you could make even more money. With that money, you could get two boats and three boats. Maybe you could even have an entire fleet of boats, and then you become, could become rich like me. And the guy said, well, then what would I do? He says, you could really enjoy life. And the guy looked at the businessman quizzically and said, what do you think I'm doing right now? And that's the way a lot of people are. It's kind of, again, this idea of having to have more and more in life to have satisfaction. But when we get a rhythm of rest and work and life, we can find satisfaction in life. Satisfaction at the end of a day and a job well done. And I remember when I was growing up, well, my dad likes to work hard and he likes to work out in the yard and do those things. And I learned early on with him, I mean, I learned you have to work hard. But I learned the satisfaction of sitting on the porch at night or whatever and looking out at the yard you mowed and you edge the yard and the hedge is trimmed and your car's clean or finding satisfaction in work. Just a, a job well done to, to look at that. And there's a, there's a satisfaction in that in life and in enjoyment uh, that God gives to us that I think is, is in some ways uh, unparalleled in other things that we do. Well, a third biblical reason for work is service, to serve other people. Work is a way that God has given us to love our neighbor. And most people don't think about that. The Bible says, Jesus says, in fact, in Mark 12, 31, love your neighbor as yourself. And so one of the key ways that we love our neighbor is to do work. It's a way that we be, meet the basic needs of other people around us. Uh, one book I was reading this week, the author said that uh, work is a seven-letter word and kind of made a play on the idea. Work's not a four-letter word. It actually is, but not that kind of word. But it's actually a seven-letter word that's spelled service. And so through our work, we honor God, but we also we serve those around us. Look, some work may be drudgery, but it has to be done. Floors have to be cleaned, diapers have to be changed, uh, trash has to, be, has to be collected, criminals have to be punished. Work provides an opportunity for us in all these arenas to serve those uh, around us. Look, work has an intrinsic value. I hope we've seen that already. There's an intrinsic value to our work because we are mirror, mirroring or, Im, or, or reflecting the, the uh, image of God when we work. God created us to be co-workers with him. So whatever work we do, there's an intrinsic value just in that work. But work also has an instrumental value. What we mean by that is it's an instrument through which we love and serve other people. Martin Luther said this. He says, God doesn't need our good works, but our neighbor does. Other people need our good works. And again, we serve other people no matter how insignificant our work may seem. I think about this often. Maybe I'm kind of weird or different. I'm sure I am in some ways. But when I go and eat at a restaurant, I'll sit in there, maybe sometimes if I'm eating by myself, and I'll sit there and think to myself, you know, there's somebody who's waiting on me. Or there's a person back there that's cooking. There's a person who invested the money to build this place. And I get to enjoy this meal. And some of the people who are there, they may not think their work is very important. But to me at that moment, it's very important. Work enjoying a, a great meal that they've provided for me. You know, somebody may be an Uber driver. Or in our, our neighborhood where we live, they've been doing a lot of, of work on some of the roads there. And they've had one lane closed off. They had it a while back for several days. And as I would come up there to that area, there would be a man standing there with a big sign that said, stop. 
And then at the way at the other end, there was a guy with a sign that said, go to let that traffic come. And they had a walkie-talkie. After some period of time, they would tell to one another, and they would turn their signs. And then we got to go, and the people at the other end are stopping. And you all have seen that many times, I'm sure, before. Now, a few days ago, or a few weeks ago, and I've, I've been reading a lot of these books about work, and I pulled up there and stopped, and the fellow with the sign was standing right there. I could look and see him, and I thought, you know, I bet that work gets really boring during the day. It's got to be a difficult job to do, to stand there all day just turning those signs. But I thought to myself, I'm so glad that he's standing there and that he's doing that. Otherwise, the road would be shut down or people would be having head-on wrecks or you'd have to be driving down in the ditch or whatever else. Something that simple, and it may seem mundane and it may seem like a drudgery, but in doing that job, that man on each end of that work that was happening there, they were serving other people. They were loving others through the work uh, that they're doing. Back in uh, March of 1981, uh, President Reagan was shot, you remember, by John Hinckley Jr., and he got hospitalized for several weeks. And uh, although President Reagan, obviously, was the nation's chief executive, um, his hospitalization really had little impact on the nation's day-to-day activities. I mean, government just kind of carried on and went on. During that same time, the garbage collectors in Philadelphia went on strike. And the city quickly became a mess. There was a a pile of decaying debris that quickly became a a serious health hazard. And someone pointed out the irony of that, and they said a three-week strike could paralyze a city, but President Reagan being in the hospital during that time had not really affected day-to-day life in our country. And then the person said this, who then is more important, the president or a garbage collector? Now, both are important, right? And again, it goes back to that idea that we all have the different callings of God. But I say that to reinforce the idea that there's no ordinary work. God doesn't view any work as insignificant. All of our work serves another person. It's a way to love our neighbor. Um, Food doesn't just get miraculously zapped into our refrigerators. I mean, clothes don't grow on trees. Houses don't assemble themselves. Trash doesn't magically disappear every week. All of those things happen because of work, good work and hard work that someone does. Martin Luther said this. He said, when we pray the Lord's Prayer, we ask God to give us our daily bread. And he does this. He does give us our daily bread, but he does it by means of the farmer who planted it and harvested the grain, the baker who made the flour into bread, and the person who prepared our meal. And someone went on and added this. Today we might add, and the truck drivers who hauled the produce, the factory workers in the food processing plant, the warehouse men, the wholesale distributors, the stock boys, the lady at the checkout counter, also playing their part are bankers, futures investors, advisors, lawyers, agricultural scientists, mechanical engineers, and every other player in the nation's economic system. All of these were instrumental in enabling you to eat your bowl of cereal this morning. Again, think about all that's happening behind what you and I enjoy, and it's work and people doing it who are serving us, who are loving us through that. One of our core values here at Faith Bible Church is to serve the church and the world. Our core values, we want people to believe the gospel, we want them to grow in Christ, we want them to connect with others, and we want to serve the church and the world. And I think often we don't think about our service to the world as being the work that we do. We leave here today and we go to the various places God has for us this week. 
we go out to serve the world, to do good work, to do hard work, uh, to meet the needs of those around us. Let me mention one final motivation for working. It's uh, the word sharing. Um, Ephesians 4.28 says this, Anyone who's been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their hands so that they may have something to share with those in need. One of the reasons you and I work, one of the reasons we should work, is to get money to give to God's work and to help people in need. Now, isn't that a more exalted purpose for working? How many people go to work and they think, man, I've gotten a raise or I got this big bonus or I got a, a new account or these things have happened. Praise God, now I'm going to have more money to be able to share and to help other people. That should be one of our motivations for working. Let me just say this. People that just work and they're, all the money is spent on themselves, eventually that becomes very disillusioning and dissatisfying. But to work and have part of the motivation for your working to make money that you can share with other people, now that's an exalted purpose for work. Do you ever think about working and making money so that you can help other people? Is that a motivation that we have? Some of you here are very, very good at making money. God has gifted you in a way to make money, and it's a gift that God has given to you. And it may be here this morning that you would honestly say, in my family, we've got everything we need. We don't need any more money. We've got enough to live our lifetime and maybe another lifetime. Has it ever occurred to you that you could stop and say, you know, I'm not going to work for myself anymore to amass money. I'm going to work and make money, just use this gift God's given me to make money that I can now share with other people. So it's a legitimate, valid motivation uh, to work. In fact, a very um, exalted one. I think one good test for all of us, too, is to think about, you know, when you do find out you're going to get some kind of windfall or some extra money, is the first thing you think about, oh, man, wh what can I go buy with this? Oh, I can go get this thing I've wanted. Or when you hear about some windfall or some bonus or something you're going to receive, is the first thing that comes in your mind, I'm going to be able to give some of this money to be able to help other people, to help God's work, help someone in need. Look, there are a lot of needs around us in this world. You know, Compassion International, Faith Works to the Inner City. There's, there's needs around us everywhere. And he says, work with your hands and serve so you can have something to share uh, with those uh, in need. That's a legitimate, biblical, godly reason to work. Look, it's important why you and I work. It's important that we work, but it's equally important why we work. God wants us to work uh, for biblical, godly reasons. Close with this story here this morning. I've told this before, but I like it. It's about when Sir Christopher Wren was building St. Paul's Cathedral in London. And he would go out oftentimes and just walk around the workers there and see how the project was going. And uh, one day, some, some men were out there working with stones, and he came up on one man. He says, what are you doing? The man said, I'm cutting a stone. He came up to another man, and he said, what are you doing? And he said, I'm making a living. He came to a third man, and he said, what are you doing? And the man paused and straightened himself, and he says, I'm building a cathedral to the glory of God. Why he was working changed everything about his life. And again, it's good to work to cut a good stone. It's good to work to make a living. But we want to be the kind of workers who are building a cathedral every day, whatever we're doing. Again, it may seem insignificant to other people. It may seem mundane. But you and I can go out whatever we do. We can know that our work matters to God. God doesn't believe that it's insignificant. That's the kind of workers we want to be. 
So let's go out tomorrow, whatever God has called us to do, wherever God has called us to do it. Let's go out in our work and let's build a cathedral uh, for the glory of God. Let's pray together. As we go to prayer, I want to give anyone here um, who's never trusted Christ as their Savior an opportunity to believe in Him and receive the Lord Jesus. I mentioned this last week, but it's such an important point, and that is that God loves for us to work hard. We're workers with God, but there's a kind of work that God doesn't want, and that is the work that we try to do to earn our way to heaven. So if that's where you are this morning, if you've been trying to earn your way to heaven, to to do enough good works to somehow to put God in your debt, you need to cease from that today and receive the only work that God will accept to save you, to bring you to heaven. There's only one work that God will ever accept to bring your soul to heaven, and that is that perfect, finished work of Jesus Christ. And he died on the cross for us, and he rose again from the dead. So you can come to him. The Bible says whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Come and give up on yourself today. Give up on your own, uh, your own efforts to earn merit with God and accept that work that Jesus Christ did for you and trust in him and take him uh, to be your savior from sin. Don't leave here this morning without him. Father, for those of us who know you, I pray that you'd connect our Sunday worship to our Monday work, that you'd give us a renewed vision of work and labor for you and for our neighbors. Lord, I'm sure there are many here this morning listening who are thinking about their own work, and maybe it isn't very satisfying. Maybe it is a real drudgery. It's difficult and frustrating. Father, I pray that you'd bless those who are in that situation. Help them to continue to do a good job and have a good attitude. But, Father, if there's, if there's another job they could have that's more satisfying, I pray that you'd open those doors for them. I pray for someone here today who may not have work right now, who wants it and who needs that to support them, their self and their family. Lord, we pray that you'd make abundant provision for them. Lord, I pray for those here today who you've given an ability to make a lot of money and to be very successful, that they'd maybe re-examine their own work and why they do it and how they can be used to, to, to glorify you and help others. I pray for employers here today that they'd be good and godly and kind to their employees and for employees that we'd work hard, we'd find satisfaction and enjoyment in the work that you've given to us, Lord, you tell it it's a gift of God. Oh, Father, thank you for your blessings to us. Thank you for the, the work we have, and thank you for the health we have to be able to do it. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you'll stand with me for the benediction as we are dismissed with the Lord's blessing this morning. Again, thank you for being here. If you are visiting with us, you go out these doors around the corner. There's a welcome center. Uh, some folks there that would love to greet you and tell you more about our church. I'll be down front here after the service, right in front of the uh, podium here. And any of our elders that are present in this service will be down front, and we'd love the opportunity to get acquainted. Uh, maybe pray with you about a burden you have this morning, or you may have a praise or something you'd like to share with us. So we're available to you this morning after the service. Let's bow our heads for the benediction as we leave here with the Lord's blessing upon us. Our benediction this morning is from Psalm 90, verse 17. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Oh, Father, we pray that you'll do that now. We ask it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen.